How's that? Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your romance. God, in all of our imperfections, we are grateful. Lord, we ask now that you will come and you will speak to us by your word. Lord, you are so good to us. Take this time now, God, and teach us and bless us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am grateful that God is gracious and he takes us in all our imperfections and uh, uses us and works through us. It is good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. Thanks for coming and spending time with us this morning. It's summertime. The warm weather is here and uh, many are traveling. And we've got a team in Guatemala and we want to uh, say hi to you from Guatemala here. Hey, we just want to say hi from San Lucas and let you guys know that we made it safely here. We had a great first day doing some street evangelism with a glacier. Tom and his youth group, and I'm looking forward to. All right, there they are. There's actually a video that goes with that, but we lost that. So you know when you have half the staff out traveling around in various places, some of the technical things are in crazy places too. So, But God is with us, and here we are to uh, worship Him this morning. I actually want to introduce you to uh, a couple of good friends of mine, Jacob and Carolyn. Would you stand up? These two are coming to be interns this summer here in Salt Lake City from Nebraska. And so we want to welcome them. You can sit down. So they'll be working out at Redeeming Life some and with us some, and uh, we're just really grateful to have them with us. We try to bring in interns every summer. We have actually another children's intern coming a little bit later in the summer and uh, give people a little taste of Utah. And so uh, it's a great place to be, and we're thankful. So we're in a series on Exodus, on the law, and uh, this is a series uh, Pastor Jared started last week. We gave you some introductions to the law. Today we're going to look at the Exodus story from Exodus 1 to 20, right up to the giving of the law. And then the next 10 weeks, um, we are going to look at a commandment each week. Um, so that's a little bit of what is ahead. And uh, so today we're going to do something I've actually never done. Uh, I'm going to teach 20 chapters of the Bible um, in the next uh, four hours. So, uh, <laughs> so hang on. I don't know if you have any plans this afternoon. No, we'll, we'll aim for 40 minutes. How about that? Um, and so a little outline this morning, what we're going to do, how we're going to cover 20 chapters here in 40 minutes. Put up that outline. Uh, we'll look at their slavery. They were in slavery in chapters 1 to 11, the uh, Israelites, and out of bondage in chapters 12 to 15, and then walking in freedom uh, in chapters uh, 16 to 20. All right, so let's... Uh, well, let's just think just for a moment how we get to Exodus chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Abraham is promised by God that he will be the father of a great nation and that they would be so numerous that you wouldn't even be able to count them, all right, and that they would be given a land. And so now we suddenly have in Exodus 1 this enormous nation that was promised to Abraham and they find themselves in Egypt. And the reason they're in Egypt is because there was a famine in Israel. And Joseph, the brother that was sold into slavery, slavery was down in Egypt. And he was getting things in order down there. And they had food when there was no food up in Israel. And so here come all the brothers and all of Israel with them down to Egypt. 
And so that's the storyline to where we get to Exodus chapter 1, where we have the nation Israel, and they are in Egypt. And I will read Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 14. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work and in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so we see here in this story that Israel has become a great nation. They are large in number and they have become a threat to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is worried about them. They're too big in number. He's afraid if they turn on us, they can defeat us. And so what he has done is he's put them into slavery to suppress them and oppress them and put them in a place where they would follow him. Furthermore, in chapter 2, we go on and find out that in that threat of them, he decides to have all the baby boys killed that were born to Israel and um, launches into that to try to keep them down as a nation. And amongst those baby boys, one of them that is born is Moses. Uh, and we know the story of Moses where his mother, uh, an Israelite, protects him by putting him in a basket in the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter comes along and finds this little baby and takes him and brings him into the palace. And Moses is raised in the palace of Pharaoh. How about that? And he grows up and he grows strong and he grows in wisdom. And as he grows into adulthood... He begins to discover that his people, the Hebrew people, are oppressed and are in slavery and it makes him angry. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating up one of the Israelites and Moses gets angry and he kills the Egyptian. Right? Now when you kill one of the Egyptians, it's not going to go well with you with Pharaoh. And so Moses has to flee and he flees to the desert to get away from Pharaoh and we find Israel now in this dark place, in, in bondage, in slavery. There's no evidence in this text at all that they have any interest in God. They seem far from Him, actually, not only in their circumstances, but in their hearts. And their leader, to be Moses, has just murdered somebody and is out in the desert fleeing. <laughs> so this, this is a dark day for Israel. That's Exodus chapters 1 uh, through three. Now, this picture of slavery that is here really reminds us of sin and its consequences. Uh, Israelites were far from God. They were experiencing the consequences of being far from God. And the Bible reminds us that when we sin and when we walk away from God, it is really like slavery. It puts us in bondage. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 kind of speaks of this. It says, We know that our old self, that sinful part of us, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. So we see in that verse that when we are in sin, when we are walking in sin, when we are rebelling from God, it is slavery. We know when we do wrong things, it causes bad consequences. We know that. But what do we do? Right? We're as stupid as my pug at home. We keep doing it. Right? We just keep doing it. Because it's, it's, it's a slavery. It gets its hooks in us and we, we almost can't help ourselves. We know we shouldn't and we do. Furthermore, when we choose to sin, it actually makes it harder to get out. And the more we sin, the more we do the things we shouldn't do, the harder it is to turn our back and go the other direction and go the right way. See? And that's called slavery. It's the picture that's here. Now, God takes the Israelites and they're in slavery and he drives them out. He gets them out of slavery. We'll see this here in the next little section. But as soon as they get out and as soon as they get away from Pharaoh and get out into the desert, what do they do? Remember what they did? They say, we want to go back. (laughs) We liked it there. It was nice there. Listen, this is crazy. Exodus, these people are crazy, just like you and I. Exodus 14, 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Here's the people talking. We told you, Moses, we told you in Egypt. This is what we said. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. We like it. We like serving them, right? And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, it says, we remember we would sit around with big pots of meat and feast and eat meat in, in Egypt. This is what they said. This, this is utter nonsense. They're free. They're out from slavery. And they're going, we liked it back there. Okay? That's the picture of sin. It's always got its hooks in us. It looks better to go back. It's hard to turn our back on it. And so you and I, even as believers in Jesus, have this lifelong draw in us to go back to sin, to go back to slavery. Likely the weakness that you have in your life, though you can grow to be stronger in it and defeat it, it's likely to be a draw all the days of your life. That's, that's what this is. It's, it's a drawback to slavery. See, it is in an instant that the Israelites were delivered from slavery. They walked across that water and they were free. Right? And so it is with us as people, that when we accept Jesus, we put our faith in Him, instantly we are free from sin. We read it in Romans chapter 6. We are set free. And so getting the man out of slavery and the woman out of slavery is an instantaneous process. But getting the slavery out of us, <laughs> that's a lifetime journey. Okay, that's the principle here. I want you to see that. We are delivered from slavery in an instant. But it is a lifetime to get the slavery out of our hearts. It, it reminds me, I was on a missions trip in Russia back in 1992. Um, and the, the Iron Curtain had just come down and, and um, the whole Soviet oppressive thing was, was fresh on the minds of the people. And I remember wor- worshiping in a church about 800 miles east of Moscow. And uh, there was probably 30 or 40 of us in this church setting, uh, a small setting, and and I came up to the pastor to talk to him through a translator after the service. And, and he said to me, 
you just got to watch out because that guy over there is probably from the KGB. And I thought, the KGB is no more, right? This is 92. The wall has come down. Don't you know it? You're free. But see, the people were free, but the freedom wasn't in their hearts yet. They were still, they lived as if they were still under the KGB, sneaking in, watching them, put them in jail for worshiping God, see? And that's the picture of our lives. It, it kind of, in my mind, is a picture of, of carving out a whole new path, a whole new trail. I picture sort of pathways in my mind. There's an old way of thinking and acting and responding. And now I've got to break that and I've got to put, form a new path. We, 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 sometimes we see this when we go hiking in the, up in the woods, right? You, they, they throw down logs and they try to let it grow over so we don't walk that way. They don't want us to walk that way anymore. And they try to form a new path that looks clear and beaten down. But that takes some time. We think those old ways because that's the way we've been thinking about it for years. But now we have to put weeds on those things. We've got to block it, throw down logs, get away. Don't walk it for a while. Let it grow up so it doesn't look like a path anymore and form a new pathway in our minds that we walk on. And that takes a lifetime. So tempted to go back that old path. I want to go back to Egypt. Too often. It's just, just that draw. And so sin is like, like slavery. But we also see in this story that, that sin is destructive. It destroys the examples of Pharaoh where uh, Pharaoh, in his face-off with Moses in chapters 7 through 11, you recall the story, Moses comes and brings one plague after another from God trying to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And what that is is really a face-off between Pharaoh's gods and the one true God. That's what's going on there. See, Pharaoh is breaking the one ultimate final commandment of God. Don't put any other gods before you, Pharaoh. And yet you have all these gods of Egypt, right? You got the sun god, right? You got the animals god. Pharaoh was considered god. And so God brings one plague after another after another, attacking Pharaoh's small, inferior gods to show that the one true God is superior. And so the sun is darkened. And so there goes the sun god. Right? He's got, just got destroyed. The one true God darkens the sky. And the animals that were worshipped, the first one dies. Is born to their mother. And that, that God is destroyed. And then Pharaoh, thinking God, he is God himself, his son is, is dead because of the plague, the tenth plague. And so now Pharaoh, who is God, can't even keep his own son alive. And so we see this face off. And the picture here is that when you rebel against me, Pharaoh, when you sin against me, it brings chaos to the land. Right? This is what our God does. Our God creates and brings order. He uh, puts our lives together when we obey Him. But when we disobey, we decreate. We bring chaos. Sin destroys. And in fact, uh, the ultimate, Second Thessalonians 1.9 says that when we refuse to obey God and obey His Son and give our lives to Him, we will enter into eternal destruction apart from the presence of the Lord. Ultimate, final, eternal chaos. And so this is what sin does to our lives and that's the picture of, of sin. It's both slavery um, and chaos. And, and, and we can see this in our culture, right? I mean, I was thinking this morning, you know, what would happen in America if all of a sudden all Americans got honest and legitimately paid every tax that they were supposed to pay? What would happen to our national debt? 
What would happen to the health of our nation if we just got honest as a people, right? I think, I, I mean, I've heard people talk, I don't know, but I, I mean, we'd be pretty close to healthy, I think, right? And what would happen if, if husbands and wives loved each other well, right? And, and laid down their lives for each other and were, were faithful to each other, the health of families in our nation. What would happen, right? What would happen if we didn't murder, but we loved one another and our streets were safe because we obeyed the commands? Would, would we not be less chaotic? Would it not be a much healthier place? I mean, it just, it, I think it's just natural to think and know and understand that when we obey God, there's order instead of chaos. And that's the picture here um, in chapters 1 through 11. Now, Israelites find themselves in slavery, but now in the chapters 12 to 15, we see them coming out of bondage. Now, this is an amazing, amazing section of Scripture and one of the most famous sections of Scripture in all the Bible. And, um, and what we have here are two really major events that are probably worth highlight. All, everything's worth highlighting, but two that really stand out. The first one is the Passover. Um, and, and that is where there was this 10th plague that was coming upon Egypt and uh, Pharaoh was told that unless you let our people go, the firstborn in all the land will die. And then uh, Moses is told to put, have the Israelites put blood over the doorposts and whoever puts blood over the doorposts, that, that death angel will pass over them and not kill that child in that home. And so the blood is sprinkled over the Israelites' homes and the death angel comes and, and the Egyptians' children are, are killed and, and the Israelites are spared. And this is a sobering moment and a frightening thing if you think about it and it was daunting to Pharaoh. But it's a picture that, that God's salvation of his people is substitutionary. We are sinners and, and somebody has to pay. A holy and righteous God says there is a payment to be paid for sin. And the choice is really simple. Either the lamb dies or you die. Take your pick. And that's the choice we face even as God's people. We say, Jesus, you died for me as the lamb of God. Or you turn your back on that and you pay the price. That's our holy God, right? And what's awesome about him is, is yes, he is holy and says, there is a payment to be made for sin. But I am gracious and loving and kind and merciful and, and I'm happy to provide the lamb to die in your place. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, it's an amazing thing to think about. You know, all of us, as we face down these texts about sacrifice in the Bible, that it just points to our own sinfulness and God's great mercy. I, I was thinking about Moses and, and maybe some of the other great Bible uh, characters like Paul and, and David. Right, and their lives and who they were. And I thought, well, if they live today, right? If Moses and Paul and David lived today in this city, where would they be living right now? You know where they'd be living right now? In the penitentiary. Because they're all murderers, every one of them. They've all killed people. Maybe we'd be visiting them down there. 
how about that? <laughs> and you and I are crazy to think if we're any different, aren't we? We're no different. But here's our gracious, good God. By the way, we're, we're better at covering up our murderous tendencies. We're more sophisticated, right? We're angry, right? And we slaughter people with our words, but we, people don't really find out. We don't end up in the penitentiary for that. We're just as murderous, but we're, we're just more crafty with it, right? And our slander and our words and our manipulation, right? Our lusts and our adulteries that are in our minds and... and we're no different than Moses and David and Paul who should be in the penitentiary. But our gracious God has provided a lamb to die in our place so that we get Jesus' blessing from God and Jesus took our curse. That's what we get. And that's the picture here. And what a good God we have. And how. <laughs> and I, you're, I, I'm so encouraged because God used Moses. Well, if he used Moses, <laughs> killed people, I guess he can use me, right? <laughs> And you and I, whatever we face. It's the Passover. There's also the parting of the Red Sea. Now, look at The parting of the Red Sea is just about the most famous story in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, I'm going to read some of this. I kind of have to be selective <laughs> in what I read because there's so much here. But, but I want to think about... God's deliverance of the Israelites as they passed through the sea. Let me read uh, Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. They've, they've, now, they've been sent out of Egypt because of the last plague. And they're running, they run up against the Red Sea, and now they're trapped. And here come the Egyptians after them. And here's Moses talking to the people. And Moses said to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You hear that? What, what are the people to do? Did you hear what, they, what, what Moses' instruction for the people was? Did you hear this? Just stand there, right? God will fight for you. Don't be afraid, just stand God will fight for you and say nothing. Just be silent. I will deliver you. All you've got to do is cross over. That's the only thing you've got to do. I'm going to fight for you. You just cross over by faith. Okay? That's a picture of God's salvation. That we are saved by grace alone through faith. Nothing that we do. Nothing. Be silent. Just stand. And I will deliver you. And so we understand there's nothing we have to do to get right with God but put our personal faith in Him and in His sacrifice, His Son dying for us. Now let me just read the story here of them passing over because it's a fascinating story. It must be read. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a, this is verse 21 of chapter 14. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. 
And in the morning, watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So there they are, passing through. And all they're doing is just trusting God and crossing over by faith. And they are saved. Salvation by grace through faith alone. That's, that's what we are. We're saved by personal faith in Jesus, His grace, and nothing we do. Think about it. Think about these Israelites. What, I mean, there's two million of them, right? Two million of them, plus or minus a million, right? We, nobody knows for sure. But in that neighborhood. So two million crossing over. What kind of a sundry sins do you think was in that camp as they were going through that water? Right? Two million of them. I mean, every imaginable thing, right, that we could probably come up with, they've, they, they were either doing or done or, or in the middle of it and thinking of doing, right? It's a motley group of people here. They're going through, Right? Furthermore, think about the people that were passing through and their response to walking through, right? I'm sure there were at least a handful like this. This is amazing. Our God is great. Let's worship him. Let's sing songs as we're walking through. Look at these waters. Look what God is doing. This is amazing. Can you believe what God is? I'm sure there's a bunch like that, right? But I don't think it was the majority. I'm going to guess that most of them were like, okay, this is really weird, right? And I don't know how long this is going to last, but we better scoot along here. And in fact, I kind of think those waters, that's unnatural there. They're going to come, and not any, we're going to die. No, we're going to die, right? And they keep going, right? And they get to the side, right? More like that. I think that was probably more common. Now, which of those two groups made it? The ones that had the greater faith or the ones that had the lesser faith? They both did. They both made it, right? And which ones made it? The ones that were leaving the, leaving the cleaner life or the ones that were leaving the messy life? Which ones made it? They both did, didn't they? All were saved by faith. Right? Because it's not the quality of our life or the quality of our faith that saves us, but it's the object of our faith that saves us. Okay? And I love that. I love that. <laughs> Tell me you're like me. I mean, there's days I'm going, okay, my life's going pretty good right now. When's the shoe going to drop? Ever think that way, right? The waters are up. In a real strange way right now, things are going good. 
Our faith wavers. We wander, right? Every one of us has days where we are just sinning to beat the band. Every one of us. But it is Jesus, the object of our faith, who is bigger and stronger than all our sin and all our doubts that saves us. It's a beautiful picture. So they're in slavery. They walk throughout a bondage by faith. And now they are to walk in freedom, part three here, chapters 16 to 20. Walking in freedom. So they pass through the waters, find themselves out in the desert, chapter 16, and guess what? They get hungry, right? Two million of them. And what do they do? They begin to grumble. And what does God do? He provides manna, right? And quail. He provides food. He takes care of them. Surprise, surprise, right? Looks grim. God, what are you doing with us? Moses, this is crazy. And God provides. Right? Chapter 17, they get thirsty. They're in the desert. Two million people that need water. And what does God do? He provides water from the rock. God is showing them over and over again that whatever he calls them into, whatever he calls them through, he is gracious, he is good, he is with them, and he will provide for their Needs, <laughs> not everything they want. You have that experience? I mean, this week was a little bit like that, in a much, much smaller way, like that this week for me. Got a lot of staff people done. My head was kind of spin, spin around in circles, felt like a couple of days. I'm like, oh no, how am I even going to do this sermon? Right? And God then graciously, for whatever reason, never goes like this. Every sermon is hard for me, I want you to know. It's hard for me to get ready. This week it was easy. How about that? Thank you, God. Why can't you make it that way every week? Right? <laughs> Why do you have to be so hard on me? Right? I'm a grumbler, right? Just like the rest of them. Okay, so. But this is our God. Over and over again, he shows us that he loves us. He's gracious. He's concerned with us. Whatever you're going through, he wants you to see that, you're, that he's gracious and cares about you. He does. And so he brings them to Mount Sinai and they're to camp there for two years and God's going to give them his law. He's going to give them the Ten Commandments, a way to live. And I, I, I get frustrated with evangelicals actually in America today often the way they talk about the law. We are in a world that wants to throw off every law and it has seeped into the church where pastors will often teach that sort of the law isn't important anymore. But I'm here to tell you the law is important. And the law is an act of God's grace given to us that we can know how to live and walk with him in blessing and walk with him in an order that strengthens our lives. I was reading Proverbs 8, and it was talking about how when we walk in the wisdom of God, we experience his blessing. If you want to hate on yourself, it says, then disobey the law. <laughs> Don't listen to God. Mess your life up. Bring chaos. 
right? The law is a gift of God to show us how to live. It's a mercy. It provides direction for us for our lives. It protects us from harm. It shows us, Matthew 22 says, it shows us how to love one another. James 1.25 says it's the law of liberty. It shows us how to be free. Freedom ultimately is in final, ultimate surrender to God. You want to be free? Submit yourself to God. That's the picture. It's a gracious thing. It's, it's, it's guidance to our lives. I, I, was, uh, I was walking my pug. I feel like a sissy when I walk this little dog, but I, I'm walking my pug in the park, Sugar House Park, walking around, right? And, and, and a policeman sees me and he pulls over. And I'm, I, all I'm doing is walking my pug. I'm not in any trouble, I promise you. And, and I'm, you know how it is. I mean, if you're like me, you kind of have this little bit of guilty conscience. That's part of the fall too. I'm like, what have I done now, right? He goes, is that a bug? A bug? What's a bug? He said, well, that's a Boston Terrier and a pug. Combined, no, it's a pug. It's not a bug. So we had this conversation about bugs and pugs. And, but <laughs> anyway. All this to say, making a short story long here. All this to say is that when he, we were done talking about pugs, he pulled away and I said, thank you, thank you for serving our city. Thank you for bringing law and order to our city. Right? It's a better place because you're here. Even this park is a better place because you're here, right? Because it's a one way around Sugar House Park, right? What if there was no rules or they weren't enforced? You could go any which way you want, right? You have head-on collisions, right? Aren't you thankful that when you ride a bike, you have a bike lane? Or when you're a walker, you have a walking lane? And if everybody does that, it actually is fun and happy for everybody. But as soon as people start disobeying, it's a mess. It's a blessing. Laws are a blessing, right? Traffic laws in this city, though they are often not obeyed, are a blessing, right? Red lights should be obeyed, Christians. (laughs) It's a blessing, I mean, every time you get a green light, you've got to look around. All right, where's the guy coming that's breaking the law before you go through? It's a blessing to have the law, right? It's for our good. And God is saying, look it, I'm just showing you how to live in freedom and how to live in grace. But here's what I want to say. <clears throat> the order of how God does this is really important. He doesn't start with the law. That's really, really important. Okay? He starts by showing us his grace and his favor, his unmerited favor in our lives. By just graciously leading the Israelites across the water, delivering them from slavery, feeding them in the desert, giving them water, taking care of them, undeserved favor and grace. And then, after doing that, he says, now... Here are some rules that will help you grow deeper in your relationship with me. This will show you how to respond to all my love and grace. You love me because of how much I love you. Here's how you love me. Walk in my ways. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You want to know how to walk closer to me to see me more clearly? Here are some rules that will help you enjoy me. But it starts with grace, and then come the law, right? And that order is 
absolutely critical. Please hear me. In this city, please hear me. God accepts us by grace. And therefore, we obey. Out of love. Not, I obey and therefore I'm accepted. That's wrong. That's backwards. That's the law. Out of place. God loves us and he accepts us. And he says, here's my grace. I just poured out on you day by day so that you see how much I care about you. Now here's a way to draw closer to me. Obey me. It's a gracious thing. But it's never, ever, obey me, therefore I like you better. Obey me, therefore I love you more. Never. You want to mess up your kids? Do it that way. Right? I mean, I think we sense the order of God here that's really, really important. Parents, right? Don't ever do that to your kids. Yeah, if you obey me, I'll love you more. That's manipulation. That's cruel. Right? We used to say when we were parenting our kids when they were little, rules without relationship equals rebellion. You love them. You show mercy and grace beyond what they'll ever know until they grow up, maybe they start to see it. You love them and show mercy and then they say, okay, now I'm ready for some rules, right? And it's a merciful thing, by the way, to lay down some rules for those kids. Don't, don't, don't let them do that cultural thing. Just find your own way. That's cruel to do that to your kids. Right? There's principles here for parenting. Didn't mean to go into that area, but I did. Okay. <laughs> Accidents happen. All right, so moving toward the end here. So, so let, me, um, let me ask one question, then I'll close with this. <clears throat> Why was God merciful to Egypt and not the Egyptians. Why did everything go well in the end for the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and not for the Egyptians? I think it's an important question. Was it because the Hebrew people behaved better? Well, that isn't the case. We, I mean, we no, they were murderous, foolish people. It wasn't that they behaved better. In fact, I think in many ways they were worse because they knew there was a true God and they still grumbled and rebelled. Still found themselves in hopelessness and slavery. Why did God... Show favor to the Israelites and not the Egyptians. And here's the answer. Israel had a mediator. Israel had somebody representing them to God. Right? They didn't do anything more than grumble at Moses and then follow him, basically. Right? Moses has encountered God, saw his holiness, was called to go deliver them, and he went, and he was a mediator, and the Israelites, reluctantly often, but just followed him. 
And Moses interceded for them, pleaded mercy on them, held out his hands, was used by God to part the sea so they could cross over. Moses constantly was saying to God, please don't treat these people like they deserve. It wasn't anything about those people that made God show more favor to them. It was that they had a mediator. That was the only thing they had that the Hebrews, the, the Egyptians didn't have. Sovereignly so, I believe, by the way. That's, but that's another day. And so that's a picture of Jesus, right? And for us. That the only reason we are treated with favor by God is not because of anything we do to earn it or deserve it, but because we have put our hope in a mediator who, now here's where the law comes in and here's where the new covenant comes in, who kept the law perfectly. And then when we put our faith in Jesus, that perfection is given to us. And we are seen by God as perfect law keepers and treated by God as if we're perfect law keepers. That's amazing. That's our mediator. Dies for our sin. You ever felt guilty or shameful about what you did yesterday? <laughs> oh my gosh. And God pays the price for that. And then says, I give you the perfection of Jesus. And now God the Father treats you like he treats his son with favor. That's our mediator. Ben, come on up. And then fills us up with the Spirit, with the Spirit of His Son. And gives us purpose and meaning and a presence, God walking with us every day of our lives. And what the Bible asks us to do is to see the love of God that he would send Jesus to take our punishment and to see Jesus as the one who would perfectly struggle. Can you imagine trying to live a perfect life every little step of the way? And you know what it's like to obey. Every step gets harder, right? <laughs> the longer you obey in an area, the harder it gets to keep doing it. And Jesus did it all the way perfectly to the cross and died for our sins as the perfect sacrifice. And to see that the love of God would send Jesus to die for us. And to say, God, thank you for loving me so much. Jesus, you are the love of my life. I give my life to you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our salvation. He is our love. He's amazing. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for all that we can learn. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel that rings clear from thousands of years ago. Thank you that it all coherently fits together to show us your great love expressed in Jesus Christ. Oh, God, open our eyes to see, our hearts to hear, that we may know the greatness of our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen.